Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 158 of the Speaking Club podcast. Today, I'm opening the show with a quote from Mark Twain, which was subsequently borrowed by Ozzy Osbourne. Of all the things I've lost, I miss my mind the most. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hey, how are you? I must admit that for me, nearly a year into lockdown, I'm feeling the effects. My second pair of glasses have just broken. That's two of them gone and I can't get to the opticians. And so I'm sitting here like Harry Potter, my glasses held together with tape. But enough of that. I'm sure you're having some challenges as well. And a pair of broken glasses is not that much to complain about, is it? Anyway, welcome to the show and thanks for choosing the Speaking Club. Also, an extra special thanks from me. If you've been one of those wonderful people that's left a rating or review or recommended this podcast to someone else, because we've just crossed 130,000 downloads and people from 169 countries are listening in, which is amazing. Thank you so much. And today, I've got a special show for you. Very excited to share it with you. And as you'll see from the interview, or as you'll hear from the interview, I should say, I was, a, I was absolutely fascinated with this topic and the other things that Dr. Anthony Mativier had to share about the mind and memory. In fact, I think it's so good that I didn't want you to miss anything we talked about. So I've split it across two shows. Now, you're probably aware of the obvious benefits of improving your memory if you're a speaker or you need to use speaking as part of your job or to grow your business. Remembering your content, remembering people's names, complex information, to name but a few. But besides these valuable advantages that improving your memory brings, there are other positives that make it a compelling goal. And that's why I'm so pleased to have Anthony as a guest on the show. He's an experienced memory expert, an author, a professor, and a memory improvement teacher. And he's known as a bit of a rebel in the world of mnemonics because of the different approach that he advocates. And since confronting his own negative beliefs about his memory and seeing the amazing results he achieved, he's taught thousands of students to achieve incredible results too. And we're going to kick off the interview in just a second because I want to tell you about the live workshop I'm doing next week. And in that workshop, I'm going to be sharing the three-step formula to selling when you speak. This is for you if you're not getting the engagement or results this is for you if you're not getting the engagement or results that you want with your speaking whether that's talks webinars podcasts or video 
Also, it's for you if you want to discover the ingredients and a blueprint for putting together talks that not only inspire, entertain and educate, but are compelling enough to make people take action. Because that's what it's all about when you speak. Shifting beliefs, changing perspectives, getting buy-in, selling ideas and products and services. And there are three sessions in different time zones across two days. So you should be able to make it live. And if you can, you'll get a bit of a bonus. You'll take away a copy of my heart map blueprint with you. So to grab one of those spots, head over to thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass. Right. On with the interview. So welcome to The Speaking Club, Anthony Matidier. Thank you for having me, Sarah. Good to meet you. Uh, I'm really, really excited. I don't think we've ever had anyone talking about this subject on the show before. And in doing the research, I found it absolutely fascinating. It's always been something that's been in the back of my mind. We, ha- we have a guy in the UK called Darren Brown, who, mm, yes. who uses, I think, a lot of these techniques. So um, so it's always fascinated me. But I wondered, first of all, Anthony, if you could share your mission and tell me why it's so important to you in terms of what you do. Well, it's interesting you mentioned Darren Brown because in some ways my mission dovetails together with his, which is critical thinking, you know, skepticism, really looking at mysteries and and thinking them through because one of the things that he does is says well this is mysterious but yet there's a process of of machinations uh, of various steps that can be put together in order to create an outcome and that outcome can be very very true even if the ways that you get to that outcome are all manufactured and that's what memory is memory is something that we it happens to us automatically, but we can deliberately engineer to create certain effects if we just learn what it is. And so my passion and my mission is to help people not be trapped in the outcomes of memory that life just throws at you, but rather to turn it into a theater of your own design and making so that you're both the director and the all the parts, all the actors, and just have fun with your mind. Uh, and really play tricks of the mind to to use a Darren Brown quote there um, because it's everything that he does is totally within anybody's reach if they would just learn these techniques and he knows it and I know it that it's just normal human stuff that you just learn and then you do and it all of a sudden takes on a whole new level which allows you to learn languages allows you to calm your mind when it's loud and noisy it allows you to connect with people at a deeper level and you know give speeches off the top of your head uh, if you if that's what you want to do that's fantastic so yeah i mean i, I love the analogy of the theater now my background is in performing in in comedy and theater so that, that's a brilliant analogy that sort of resonates with me um and i once bought a book on mentalism and it was a little too complicated right. for me to understand but that whole sort of it <laughs> is mysterious but i love the way that you're saying you don't have to just play the, the hand that you think you know you've been dealt by the universe you can actually take control and start taking you know ownership and and drive it in a different way so i love that now, i know this isn't necessarily a new field but you describe yourself as a rebel in the world of mnemonics 
why is that? What, what's, what's so different about what you do compared to the others? Oh, well, there's a few things. Uh, there is, for example, a deep, deep history going back thousands of years in memory training. But in the 20th century, it was dominated, or at least the end of the 20th century, it was quite dominated by memory competitors. And competitors use very similar techniques, but they're different enough that they don't quite work as well as the ancient techniques. So what has happened is you have a lot of memory competitors who get some fame from demonstrations and winning competitions who then go on to write books. And those books are filled with the way that those techniques are used to win a competition based on information you're going to forget two minutes after you win the prize or lose the prize, as <laughs> the case may be. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that never worked for me. And I couldn't see how are they memorizing you know, the, the core material from entire books using this and have it last for years. Like, it didn't make sense to me. So I rebelled against that. And I got a lot of flack from it because, you know, people fall in love with their heroes. And some of those people have very good writing skills or they have very good teams that help them write very well, etc. cetera. And um, there's been a bit of a, a hoodwinking in some sense because those memory competition techniques are built to win competitions, not to get you a degree necessarily. They'll certainly help you, but they're not that thing. So I just, I, 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 and the beauty of it is, is that my rebellion only led to being acknowledged by the memory community. And Tony Buzan, who created the World Memory Championships, gave me the Warrior of the Mind emblem for outstanding contributions to global mental literacy, which I when I met him, I was a little bit afraid that, you know, there was some, you know, little bit of hatred for me because I was, you know, talking smack against the competition sort of world a little bit. But um, yeah, that that in a nutshell only paid off because that criticism that I had made is only true. Uh, those techniques are good, but not necessarily what the ancients did in order to have long term retention of information. Oh, and I did see the picture of you. You looked especially proud when you got that award. It looked, <laughs> well, it was a it surprise looked... too. It would, nobody told me in advance. You know, it was. Uh, oh, really? Was, Just uh, sort of dragged you up and. Yeah, it was. Um, it was. No, it was not expected, and it, it's a. Uh, it's a great honor and a privilege because, you know, Tony Buzan is very important. A lot of people would know him, especially in the UK, primarily probably for mind mapping, mm -hmm. but. Um, you know, he himself told me something that I didn't know, which was, you know, when he wanted to learn about memory, he went to Harry Lorraine, and uh, that's who he learned from. And Lorraine was not a competitor either, but he had uh, certain things and quirks where he would do stunts and demonstrations that were not designed for long-term memory either. Anyway, as with most sort of worlds, once you get into it, there's all kinds of stories and interesting lineages and, and lots to learn and discover. And, you know, that's all fine and dandy, but we still want you to learn the techniques themselves. <laughs> and use them. Yeah, I, would, I did. I saw that Harry Lorraine was a hero of yours and I started looking at him. So I was like, oh, I wonder why he's a hero of, of Anthony's. There's fun YouTube videos of him in his birthday. Uh, like it, I believe he's in his 90s now. He's doing magic tricks for his friends. Some of his friends are very famous magicians. <laughs> it's his birthday, and he's doing tricks for them. And he's just <laughs> smashing it 
mind-boggling tricks that he does. And of course, memory is is part of of how that he does it. And uh, yeah, I, I think that if you look at Buzan and you look at Lorraine, you see these senior. Well, unfortunately, we lost Buzan, but um, while he was alive, you see these senior uh, members of our society just brimming with joy and happiness. They're totally switched on, and I believe a lot of that comes from regular memory practice and. We, we we have scientific evidence that shows that that would be the case. So that's wow. part of the reason they're my heroes is because they actually walked, you know, their talk and you can just see it in their joy, their sharpness, their ability to access detailed information, even in their uh, twilight years, so to speak. Gosh, if, if nothing else, that's another big reason for people to start looking at this stuff because, you know, the, it is a worry for a lot of people losing faculty and if there's this is a way to keep it going for longer in addition to all the other benefits that it generates so that sounds fantastic now you mentioned the ancient traditions that you draw from to improve memory and i wondered if those were related to the universal principles that you talk about that underpin your system mm, yeah i mean the only reason why they're valuable is because they are true and they are universal so to speak so when we say universal, this doesn't mean eternally true for all time, but um, they're based on brain principles. So if you think about your brain as a garden, and a garden has soil, and it has vines and tendrils and leaves and all this sort of stuff, your brain is not unlike this. You have these neuronal neuronal networks, and the neurons are connected, and neurons are literally like vines in, in soil. And they pass, you know, not fluid as such, but electricity, positive and negative ions that flow through these synapses. And so if you think about, you know, a garden that just has these vines connecting pumpkins or whatever, and if you really water it and nurture it and um, fertilize it and clip away the, you know, the suckers, I guess they call them, that steal from the main plant, you're going to have a vibrant, amazing, healthy garden that you can go into anytime and harvest, get what you need. You know where it is. It's plump and ready to go. But if you don't, it's just going to be withered and disconnected. And, you know, to even start dealing with it is going to seem like a monumental chore. And that's where a lot of people are, is they've got a withered, tattered, disconnected set of vines that have just been left untended unfertilized unwatered and yet there's hope because within a weekend you can start to have the basis for this incredible i don't want to say garden of eden but you know something the next best thing <laughs> wow that's that's amazing so in a weekend you can start to really make some progress with this yeah if you want to for sure I, you know, there are people who have read half a memory book and won the world memory championships. They didn't even finish. <laughs> I oh had a guy goodness. at a seminar I did in China. It was a three-day memory training seminar. At the end of the first day, he comes up to me. He said, you just changed my life. And I said, not so quick. But he comes back the next day. He rattles off 20 Chinese idioms off the top of his head. He shows me the little drawing I told him to make of a memory palace. And uh, then he's just like, and I said, I told you. Wow. <laughs> I said, okay, good. You still come to day three because this is just the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> that 
that's amazing. So, so basically, what, so how when you say ancient, how old are these? You know, how long have people been practicing this stuff? Well, that's a very good question because we have every reason to believe that we've been practicing it for a very long time. I mean, there's a great book by Lynn Kelly called The Memory Code that goes into prehistoric uh, origins of this. She's a, an eminist herself. She uses these techniques. So she has a very interesting insight into it, anthropologically and historically speaking. And one of the ideas there, which I think is makes sense and makes sense even more in our era, is that we needed these techniques to survive. So they're in certain Aboriginal tribes and whatnot, there actually were memory masters who protected not just the knowledge, but how to have the knowledge of where certain plants that would help you live during a drought were located. And you only got that knowledge if you could have the techniques to accurately remember it because the survival of your tribe was at stake. You know, so um, they're very old and I don't think humans get to where we were without them or where we are. <laughs> where we were might be a, an interesting slip there given <laughs> the threat to memory that we have now with internet technology and so forth. But uh, that's that's why I say it's important to survival now as well. And there's a great interest that has revived in memory techniques very um, tellingly as supposedly computers are remembering it for us, which they clearly aren't. Yeah, well, that's a really interesting point that you're making there because we have become lazy in, in you know, in because it is all served to us on a plate. And I, I would imagine, I'm, I may be wrong here, but in the sort of ancient tribes, maybe they had someone who was considered a shaman that was just someone who made it look like magic that they could they could remember this stuff. Who knows? But um, I do think it's something that is a worry. You're absolutely right where we just, we're not using the gifts that we've got, even to the level we were, let alone pushing them further. Well, the example you give is very good because you started with Darren Brown, right? And Darren Brown yeah. definitely uses memory techniques. I, I, I have good reason to to verify that but you know mentalism and so yeah. you know that there there can be both superior memory techniques applied and the illusion of more going on than it seems and so this is where you know one needs to be careful with these techniques is you don't want to get caught up in an illusion and chase after things that can't be done which is things like photographic memory and bizarre things that people get into as opposed to the real deal stuff that's actually tremendously much more exciting um but again th this kind of idea of a shaman or whatever is interesting because we need hierarchies and hierarchies will build and there will be the people who do the discipline they'll get the black belt and there'll be the people who won't and so you've got to kind of you know see yourself in that and find the truth of it and that again is where i rebel a bit i guess because i'm just kind of look there's a reality to this. It's much sexier than it seems, but, you know, science term, science term, science term, and so forth. But that's why we want memory techniques, so that we don't cringe when somebody throws a difficult word at us, you know? We actually go, yeah. oh, I can deal with that, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and absolutely. embrace it. So your own journey into this, you know, there mm. must have been a why. You know, I know you've got a bigger mission, but what was it that made you start on this journey personally? Well, it was desperation, really a dark <laughs> story of clinical depression and 
I don't know if people know Toronto, but if you can get an image in your mind of, you know, 10 feet of snow, dark winter, so dark, the, the government is thinking of calling in the military to remove the snow. Oh. And I strangely always insisted on living as far away from my university campus as possible. And uh, so I couldn't get to the university because everything was iced in and I was isolated in my apartment. And I got a strange letter years early that my student loans were coming due. And I had, uh, I was doing my PhD and I had to um, sit for some exams. And I was not even able really to see the doctor to deal with these pills that I had to take, some of which were causing me to drool, you know, and I couldn't focus. I couldn't, I was so passionate about knowledge and philosophy and language and had all these exams and it just all crushed and caved in on me. Uh, and so I almost gave up, almost quit the PhD, but it was kind of good that I did almost quit because I started to visit an older passion of mine, which was magic. And YouTube was just coming into the world at that time. And there were these guys sharing these magic tricks and how they did it. And so because it wasn't deep philosophy, it wasn't complicated textbooks. I was just watching YouTube videos and learning magic tricks. And that's where this idea of uh, it's, it's one of the holy grails of magic, which is any card at any number. You just ask somebody, you know, uh, name any card. And they say, Jack of spades. And you say, give me any number from one to 52. They say 17. And then you just snap your fingers and boom, that's where the Jack of spades is 17 cards down. And uh, I thought, wow, I got to learn this. And one of the ways you do it has to do with a memorized deck of cards. But I thought, no way, I can't even read a single page <laughs> from a book, let alone memorize a deck of cards. But I tried it and it was so much fun and it worked. I memorized this whole deck and it really took only 15 minutes to learn how to do it. And I just thought instantly, if I can get the information from these books onto cards, and then memorize them in the same way that I just did playing cards. It doesn't matter if I'm depressed or not. And that's exactly what happened. But the best part is I started to do this and I started to feel better. It didn't cure my depression. It didn't make the problems go away or anything like that. But it turns out about 15 years later, I found a researcher who has been using the same memory palace technique that I used for playing cards and to eventually get my courage back to go to these exams and get my PhD and then go travel the world and get research grants and all this stuff that I did after that. He has found that these techniques do indeed create increased serotonin, dopamine, and it helps people with PTSD and other kinds of issues because of that garden effect. Your brain is just soil, like it's not soil, but it's chemicals. And if you stir it around in the right ways, you fertilize it, you'll get, you'll feel better. And so that's, I've been passionate about that since it happened to me and all, all the better when there's actually scientific grounding behind it and great work being done to help people with depression and PTSD and so forth. So yeah, when it transformed me, the, the, there's a good scientific reason why it did. And then you go back to the ancients, and you read some guys like Giordano Bruno, who wrote these very strange memory books, like with strange titles, like On the Shadows of the Ideas. And he keeps talking about light. He's like, he basically says, the light will switch on in your head if you do this. And 
you know, that's what I experienced. And I experience it more and more. It's just this weird feeling of pleasure and bliss, even in the worst of times. And it makes sense scientifically. We know that if you do certain things, you would enter what's called the uh, task positive network of the brain. Normally, we're in default mode network, and it's just like, I, 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 me, 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 poor me. Oh, the future is going to be so terrible, and I have to do this, and I have to do that. But when you're in flow, what Mihai Csikszentmihalyi Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. He's right. And memory is memory training is one of the ways you get there. And if you can get into flow states long enough, like, for example, 90 days of practice would help you potentially break off so that you stay in flow. Uh, now, don't make any radical claims there, but potentially. And we see uh, a lot of research about 90 days of, of practice being really transformative. And that's essentially what happened to me. So wow. uh, <laughs> I try really not to be an evangelist, but it is almost like a, a transformation in that sense. It's because really interesting. It's slightly diverting off it, but I, I watched your TEDx talk and, and I, you mentioned Eckhart Tolle and you talked about this stuff and I, and I, and I was looking to try and get the book that you talked about, The Evolution of Thought. So I, when Tolle talks about, you know, the pain comes from the future and the past, being in the present and how difficult it is to stay in the present, this seems not only a vehicle, again, to like this seems to be so many, but it's not only a vehicle to get all of the sort of positive benefits about improving memory and everything else, but if if it gets you into into the present and and sort of into that flow and must be you know it's it's another great tool to access and and quiet those thoughts that bombard us all the time as well i'm glad you mentioned brother eckhart because he is uh the perfect example of somebody who quotes from memory all the time so you know if you look at tony robbins and you look at all these wayne dyer they're just quote machines now, what are yeah. they doing? They're exercising their memory. And there's two components to this. They're not only exercising their memory as such, but they're exercising their memory with the knowledge that they seek, right? Which is to pay attention to the now. It's just endless variations of now, 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 and now, yeah. and right now. So how do how do they get there? And that's what I was asking in my TEDx. How, Brother Eckhart? Yeah. How? And the answer was, be like Brother Eckhart. Quote the knowledge. Again yeah. and again and again. And that's what I had done by accident because Gary Weber in Happiness Beyond Thought and Evolving Beyond Thought, he says, you know, just memorize this stuff, basically. And uh, that's what I did. And I just sat there and it's been years now, but it was definitely 90 days that I was just sitting there, Chittameva Mahadosham, Chittameva Balaka. And I'm not just chanting Sanskrit, I'm reciting what it means. And it's training. Which is the thoughts, isn't it? It's something about the thoughts. Yeah, sorry, go yeah, on, yeah. Anthony. Well, essentially what it's training you to do is to realize that everything that is appearing in your mind is just that, an appearance of stuff in your mind. And it just lets you let it go, let it go, let it go. And then you just progressively be more and more in the present. So, um, yeah, I don't know where it's all going to go. But it doesn't really matter because there's Sam Harris who has Waking Up. And he talks about, he's used this, this is, this is pretty much a direct quote. He says that there, there are certain meditation techniques that start to look like heroin without the needle. And uh, that's in his ep podcast episode with Daniel Kahneman. And I believe he's referring to research by Richie Davidson. Um, I've never done heroin, but I can tell you that it's something like this. It's just this bizarre, strange pleasure that feels like a free lunch. 
but it isn't because I sit there and practice every day. I pay the dues to get it. Uh, <laughs> I started meditating. I did 40 days straight at something. And, but I just find it, I, I'm so interested to go and, you know, have a look at this stuff as well. Those of you who don't know Eckhart Tolle wrote the book, The Power of Now, one of the sort of leading books on mindfulness and all sorts of other stuff. This stuff all ties in and it's all, I think, going to be so valuable, not just for improving our minds but also on the well-being side especially some of the stuff that we've gone through now and inevitably will fall out of what's going on at the moment that we have to cope with so brilliant stuff right back to my questions <laughs> I knew it'd be a fascinating interview Anthony thank you um so I was really curious about the choice of the word elegant which kept coming up in your description of the mag magnetic memory method, which is which is your method. So what is it about the method that is elegant and why is that an important aspect to it? Yeah, that's a good question. It's, it's like a martial art of the mind. So if you can imagine a Tai Chi master who is by themselves, they're not fighting anyone, but you can see the fight, you know, they're moving around and they're so graceful. And yet you know that what they're doing is, you know, practicing this sort of pushing away of the enemy and in a way that just folds the enemy like paper and puts them on the ground and ends it. You know, it's just beautiful. It's graceful. It's calm and it's forceful and it does the trick. Right. And that's what that's what using memory techniques is like, because you're actually doing a couple of things at the same time. So when I go and memorize the names in a room and demonstrate it and even add details, because I hear people doing small talk in, in the beginning and remind them of certain things and, oh, you're the guy with the wife with the appendicitis and all like this stuff when I name <laughs> Andrew, I am doing that equivalent of just multiple moves. My feet are doing something. My mental feet are doing something as my hands, my mental hands are doing something else. I can get into more of what those operations are if you like, but that's why it's elegant and it's that fast. And if you do it well, which you can again by the end of a weekend of study and practice, you know, it's just, it feels like dancing. It feels like Tai Chi or, or just taking things and folding it and putting it where it belongs and then having it there when you need it again. Wow, it does sound it sounds brilliant. And you know, we've used the word flow in that in a slightly different context, but in this context as well, it feels like it might fit, like it's you know, that elegant, the water and ease that seems to come mm. across and, and everything else. That that's cool. I think we may have some questions that will get us into what you were starting to talk about. One of the things, surprising things that I noticed that seems to be different about your method is that you're not only promising to improve people's memory, but also their creativity. Is that because it's inherent in the way that your method works? Yes, and that's because people often don't know what creativity really is. And so when we set the foundations in a way that makes more sense, then people will realize that they have always been super creative. Not only that, but they've always been more scientific than they realized. So basically, this is a good way to introduce how some of the techniques work. So I'm not really being creative when I walk into a room, but if you were the first person that I met and you said, hey, my name's Sarah Archer, 
I'm going to think maybe Sarah Connor from Terminator, and now she's going to be shooting arrows, right? And I might think of a, another UK magician. I don't know if he does mentalism, but uh, I think his name is Danny Archer. Might not be a UK magician now that I think about it. But anyway, there's a, a magician named Danny Archer. The uh, Archer thing will be very important. And what I'm doing there, and this is good that this sort of a blip came in my mind, is because it's actually irrelevant whether there's the, five archers. I'm just associating more than one archer. And that's why feet are doing one thing, hands are doing the other thing. Because within a couple of seconds, I want to really drill this in. And then, I mean, this sounds kind of crazy, but I'm already memorizing somebody else's name, like a Haley, uh, for example, and an Allen or whatever. And as I'm doing that, I'm still thinking of the feeling of an arrow flying from a, a bow that's maybe now going through Haley's comet, right? Because Haley is beside you. And now I'm hearing the sound of that comet falling on Alan, and he's like, oh, that hurts. And he's got an Alan wrench. And now he's going to like start to correct Sharon, who's beside him or whatever, right? And i um, going to get some emotions in there. And I'm just going to keep weaving and weaving in this multi-sensory way. And so why I say it's creative is because it is, you know, just having an image of, of somebody who isn't there, like Sarah Connor, who isn't even real from the Terminator movie, archers with multiple magicians that maybe are named Archer from different parts of the world. And um, now Haley's Comet, which is way out in space. But I'm not creative in the normal sense. I'm just using the alphabet to notice associations between someone named Haley and another H up in the sky. And uh, what did I say? Alan, um, you know, I'm thinking now, I think it's Alan Funt from Candid Camera or something was the show. And it doesn't matter if it's Candid Camera or not. There's some guy named Alan Funt somewhere in the world. And now it's him and Alan Ranch, you know, so I'm being creative, but I'm just playing in the sandbox of language of the alphabet of emotions and feelings and sounds and all these things and that's that's what creativity is creativity is the recombination of pre-existing elements i don't know that there's any way out of that definition so you don't you don't generate new things nobody does everybody's born into the earth naked and they just use what was there that's what creativity yeah. is actually the the word original actually means of origin that's that's the etymology of the word so nobody's creating anything. We're just recombining parts. <laughs> it's really, really interesting. I had a, a creativity expert who said exactly the same as you. But what's fascinating to me, what you're doing to, for yourself is what I teach people to do with stories to make them sticky for their audience. So yeah. is bringing in the senses, say what you thought, you saw, you felt, you heard, so that people can then connect it back to their experience of something similar, not exactly the same, but then that makes that story and that message sticky for them. I mean, it's different, obviously, and there's you know differences, but there are some similarities in terms of making those things concrete and relatable and memorable for the audience in the story as there is in this technique. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's it's very related to story, and story is a great thing. I mean. People remember stories. However, there's an interesting thing about stories, and this is part of the feet doing one thing, hands doing the other thing, which is that a lot of people are very good at remembering the beginning and the ends of stories, but they can't remember the middle. And <laughs> that same thing happens in memory. This is primacy effect, 
recency effect and the forgetting curve. So why exactly the middle falls into mud, it's not entirely clear, but what we do to, to beef that up, and good stories do this to beef that up, is we have what's called serial positioning effect. So what that means, and what I mean is, you know, at the end of Harry Potter novels, for example, just to take an exaggerated uh, case, like 100 pages where they're just revisiting everything that happened in the story, and they're talking about it and all that sort of stuff. Well, they're, that's called a serial positioning, because they're now repositioning something that happened in a serial order, and then you remember it better, precisely because it's been repositioned. So when I'm memorizing all the names, I will quickly go through them out of order. So I'll go forward and backwards, and then I'll actually skip them. So if I had you first, and then I had, um, I said Haley next, I would skip Haley and go to Alan, and then I think I said Sharon, and I would skip Sharon and go to, I don't know, Edward or whatever. And then I would go backward. Like, it's a specific pattern. And this, again, is something, if you just learn how to do it, you start to do it automatically. But, you know, you go forward, backward, and then one, three, five, and four and two, if that was just the amount of numbers. And now you've given yourself serial positioning and primacy effect and recency effect because a lot of people would be okay with the first and the last name but they would lose the the middle ones that's really interesting so it's something that it's almost like a recap isn't it of of the story oh cool that's so good thank you for that that's brilliant um you heard it here use that in your storytelling in your speaking guys when you when you get to the middle bit there um fantastic now until I was doing my research for this interview. I didn't realize there were so many different types of memory, but you talk about five different types, I think. And um, can you take um, me through what each one of those is and why they're important? Yeah, well, I mean, the, there's lots of types of memory and there's lots of types of, of memory techniques. So one of the things that we have is autobiographical memory. We have procedural memory. We have uh, figural memory. We have episodic memory, uh, and these levels, they, they're words that scientists use to describe different things, and they're not as well understood as some scientific papers would have us you know, believe. But nonetheless, we can think of them in ways of, that help us use them as tools. So, for example, if I'm thinking of like a Sarah, for example, I don't have to use um, a reference to Terminator, I could think, oh, well, I know Sarah. And then to use it more autobiographically, I could just for a flash think about where I met her and so forth, uh, another Sarah. Um, and you know that that's another tool. I don't tend to use that technique that much because I spent way much more time watching Terminator movies and uh, than too. I did with <laughs> this person. But um, you know, you, you just can pick your pick who it is that you want to um or what kind of thing you want to strengthen and play around with. And it's good to just exercise all of them. And then things like figural memory are or involve things like the you, you know, if you can think of the Apple logo, that's kind of a figural memory thing, which also can be very, very useful. Uh, to exercise through. Um, and, you know, you've just got endless kinds of things. And one of the problems and what makes science so confusing is that different scientists come up at different times and they haven't always read all the literature. So they'll identify something and they'll think, wow, we got to have a new name for this when actually, no, you don't. But uh, then they 
get defensive and they learn later and they don't want to correct it. So this is the better name that, so you end up having multiple names for the same thing, which um, is part of the reason why science gets frustrating and confusing, <laughs> but uh, also fun. Uh, but in any case, those are some of the levels of memory uh, or kinds of memory. And really, if you, if you do start to poke around and distinguish and you go, Oh yeah, that's right. You know, my, my, in my memory of the McDonald's logo, is a different kind of memory because I can think about that without having to go into a personal story for some reason, you know, but, but when I think about Sarah, well, now I've got like all these trappings and I can think of the person who introduced us, Brandon Fong, um, you know, and that is a different kind of memory. You know, it's just, it's very different. And that there, are, that that's always going to be something that's quite unique and special. But the McDonald's logo, you know, it's just, yeah. it's just somehow there. You, you don't remember the first time you saw it. And um, this is the shape. It's got colors, you know. Is it, you is can like... make it autobiographical. You can go, oh, I remember the time I took an acid and we were at McDonald's and it seemed like a patient. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it doesn't have to be. You, uh, you actually have to take a conscious step, right? Which is now yeah. getting into episodic memory. It's a specific cool. episode. And do you find that there's any correlation between which sort of association works best for someone and their preference for visual, auditory, kinesthetic? Does that language thing work equally with the memory stuff? You know, I wouldn't put it that way because I think those things are probably equal in all okay. brains except for brains that maybe have had a, a car accident or a congenital issue. But what is different that we see in the research is that some people need to spend more time on what's called encoding information, and other people need to spend more time on decoding. So what that means is... Ooh, I've left it on a bit of a cliffhanger there. What do you think? I've already started on Anthony's free course because I can see so many ways in which this is going to help me. And also help me help you too. Sounded like Tom Cruise and Jeremy Guire there. Anyway, if you can't wait until next week to find out more about his stuff, then check out the links in the show notes and do go and say hi to Anthony over on Twitter. The link for him on Twitter is in there too. So thank you again for listening. And don't forget to sign up for that free live workshop I'm doing next week if you want to give your speaking a boost this year not just your speaking your sales too as ever if you enjoyed the show then i would be so grateful if you would leave a rating or review over at ratethispodcast.com slash tsc that's tsc anthony and i will be back next week for part two and in the meantime don't you forget to grab your memory by the nuts and get cracking. Bye-bye. Hey, if you're listening to the show because you want to start speaking or have a big talk or pitch coming up and you want to make it the best it can be, then you made the right choice because this podcast is the vehicle that can help you get there. But I wanted to tell you about something that will get you there even faster. Something that incorporates all the hacks, tools and tips I've picked up from my years in comedy, theatre, marketing and coaching. And that's my blueprint for creating and delivering a story-led talk that engages, inspires, and converts. And the best bit is, 
that I'll be sharing my blueprint and the mindset hack that will help you overcome public speaking anxiety in a free webinar masterclass. To register, go to thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass. This puppy gives you the soup to nuts for creating powerful talks that connect with and engage your audience every time. So grab your place now. That's thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass.